Every great film should seem new every time you see it. Welcome to the Midnight Film Review Podcast, Episode Seventy One. The, the 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 reckoning, the clawing, the the old loganing, the loganing. Yep, loganing. Uh, I'm Colin Smith. With me, as always, Brian Stevens, and we have an exciting, jam-packed episode uh, in store for you today. Um, <laughs> there's some interesting news to talk about. Uh, we got some news on. Really, two franchises that we don't want and didn't ask for. We're going to talk about uh, the Transformers franchise that was only a hypothetical before today. Um, That we've mentioned before, we're going to talk about Ridley Scott and his legacy a little bit. Uh, We're going to talk about the casting of British actors, uh, black British actors in American films, uh, which Samuel L. Jackson criticized, kind of... Interestingly, I'll say that this week. And finally, uh, we have some more news about. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to to give it away. Um, but uh, I I ruined Brian's day with this one. So uh, another big another big announcement happening in Hollywood this week. Uh, we had one email. Uh, we've got a couple media hot takes, and we're gonna finish with a review. Of Logan, Logan's Run, right? We saw Logan's <laughs> the, Run, the remake of the TV show classic. Yeah. <laughs> um, what could possibly go wrong? Nothing, ever. All right, so let's start with uh, their franchising. What now? Um, this is, this one's kind of genuinely confusing. So we mentioned before that uh, who who owns who owns this. Who owns this IP? Which one? Transformers. Uh, Paramount. Paramount. Mm-hmm. So Paramount had put this writing writing team together to start writing this universe, uh, you know, to expand the Transformers franchise. And then we talked about the fact that Michael Bay had stepped away officially, and they hadn't really made nothing was in pre production. We hadn't heard any news about it. Well. Uh, a few days ago, actually almost a week ago, it was announced that Travis Knight is leaving Leica to direct a Transformers spinoff, the Bumblebee Transformers spinoff. Uh, what? So <laughs> what? what? So yeah. So Paramount was uh, basically so it's an article in Variety. Um, they suggest that Paramount was really courting. People, directors with animation experience. Uh, they talk about Chris McKay. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So here's here's the thing. I I just uh, does this mean we could actually potentially get a good Transformers movie? I I mean Travis Knight, um, who recently famously we loved Kubo and the Two Strings. Excellent job directing that movie. Um, Possibly, but the thing that bothers me most about this, so those who don't know, and I, it, Travis Knight is the son of Nike CEO uh, Phil Knight, uh, 
the brother of Suge Knight, famous. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no. Do not confuse the executive. Uh, yeah. But my point is, Leica is a studio that doesn't have a lot of money. The Knight family is obviously overflowing with cash. And uh, Travis Knight, I've been a, a Leica fan for a long time. I love Paranorman. Para Norman, the box trolls, uh, Coraline is good. Uh, not my favorite, but I, it's they're, they're quality films, quality animation, and um, I was I'm just really disappointed that he's probably leaving this studio behind because they need all the money they can get. It is. I mean, it is sad. It it seems like. <sighs> be easy to accuse him of selling out, I guess, maybe is what you're getting at. Mm-hmm. But if he was looking to maybe make the jump into live action direction, I, I mean, you know, it at a certain point, even if animation is what you love doing, I could see it being kind of stifling to work. And, and Leica does these beautiful, beloved, critically acclaimed sort of niche films. Right. To, you know, maybe he wants to cut his teeth and uh, try and move move on to something different. So. You're being you're being very fair. Then and that you made a good point. These films are like I mean, each of these movies take years to get done. It's not like the typical animation you stop motion animation is very grueling process. It takes a lot of time and a lot of effort and you're right. I mean, if you're working for the same project for two years, that can be that can be you're right. That can be stifling. That can that can be very difficult. I don't want to begrudge him. I mean, hopefully, he can bring us a movie that we enjoy. I'm that good. Good. Yeah, I mean, we have Spielberg is uh, is credited as a producer along with a bunch of other people. So we'll see. You know, Paramount needs all the help they can get, and this actually seems like a. I mean, a really a smart choice for them. For know? sure. Yeah, I agree. Can't really blame them for trying to steal him. So, something to uh, you know keep keep your eye on, and we'll as soon as everything starts going south in a hurry, <laughs> yeah. we will let you know. Uh, so, speaking of franchises that nobody asks for or wants, uh, <laughs> Ridley Scott, um, who's Alien Covenant. Uh, comes out, what a couple months from now. We when's the release date? We have full we have full length trailers running, so I don't know, Colin. It comes out soon. <laughs> I... So basically, Ridley Scott did an interview with the Sydney Morning Herald, and it, so we talked about last time. He's not writing these films he's not responsible I mean maybe he's responsible for the lore but he's not he hasn't been credited as a as a story writer or a screenwriter on any of these franchise films that we talked about that we could find Uh, so (laughs) basically he offered I'm not sure he's offering this to but (laughs) offered to the world to keep making alien films. He said, uh, if you really want a franchise, I can keep cranking it for another six. <laughs> Which, literally, that is a verbatim quote. I can keep cranking it for another six. Which that, is, which seems like a completely arbitrary number. 
But I feel like he's plotting the end of the world, and he's going to do it through alien movies, and it's going to take six more. He's, I mean, he already had, he's already trying to get work, get work started for the next film, although no official announcements have been, uh, have been made. Um, What is this, what, what is he doing? I don't. I, I don't know. So, uh, something I didn't realize, and I, I misquoted Brian, but uh, Ridley Scott's 79 at this point, so he's going to die before he gets through another six Alien films. There, I mean, there's no way he's still directing at, like, 93 or 94. I mean, that's, that'd be but insane. But he might, he might just survive on the sheer will to destroy his legacy, you know? That, that sort of hate, hate could, can nourish a man sustain him yeah yeah you're right i feel like he is just like had <laughs> totally making this up but he's had such a bad run of movies mm-hmm. since the pinnacle of his career he is just convinced that this <laughs> is this is his legacy now and you know i mean really looking at looking at his recent films Prometheus was probably the most successful, if I had to yeah. guess, right? Yeah, I think you're right. And maybe he is conf- confused that with uh, success with greatness, and I don't know. But, it, I mean, what else does he have to do? You know, this is these are going to be the easiest films to secure pr- production funding for and a pitch to studios. Yeah. Uh, I will say this, that, that maybe he did learn his lesson because with Prometheus, with Prometheus, he promised something grand and gave us the beginnings of a story that we were curious about at least. The first act, I'm very curious. I was on the edge of my seat and he ultimately couldn't pay off this this idea. And with Covenant, I there is no delusion about what this movie is, I feel like. He's not. I don't. This doesn't look like any kind of grand story. I. I it seems like it seems to be a, a pre a sequel to Prometheus. It doesn't seem to be anything more than that. Yeah. Or I. I don't even know if you could. I mean, an indirect sequel to yeah. Prometheus. I guess would be the <laughs> kindest way of billing it. So, yeah. What do you do? What do you do with six more of these? You just keep. Making the same, f- I mean, God. It just seems like you keep, yeah, you just said it. You keep making the I, same yeah. movie over and over again. I, I mean, it's like he, he made Prometheus so he could make this film. Um, yeah, yeah. At, at a certain level. I just, I don't know. And the worst part is there are, so look at things like Alien Isolation. This is an an interesting universe, and mm-hmm. we've only seen glimpses of it. Uh, but he's moved away from the the elements of Alien and Aliens. I think that are form a cohesive world, and is just making up. He's not doing it, but the movies are just making things up. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I feel like that sort of deteriorating 80s spacefaring aesthetic 
with these huge conglomerate multinational corporations kind of running yeah, these yeah. colonies. That's that is just is a true true sci-fi setting. Yeah. And I I mean I don't know. It it does like that seems so far detached from anything that happened in Prometheus or anything that will happen in it's like it's like people forgot about that those that aspect of the the films. I, I don't know. Anyway, I no. I think you're onto something. I don't. I don't disagree with what you're saying. I think that anytime that you anytime anytime a director has a passion project, nine nine times out of ten, let me put it this way: when it, when a director has a passion project or a a series or a beloved IP, it's not always loved for the same reasons that they love it or they think that everyone else loves it. I mean, I can think of George Lucas right off the top of my head. I can think of, I can think of um, Michael Bay. <laughs> like there, there's there are several other directors who have gone down this path where they just keep making movies that nobody really asked for. That we may say we want. But they don't know how to give us what we want because they don't really understand why we wanted it in the first place. If that makes sense. Yeah. It, I mean, it does. And, you know, I think that is... We're going to switch up the order here, but I think that is a brilliant segue into another piece of news. <laughs> uh, Indiana Jones 5 is official. It's official. 2019. We have a date. Uh we, we have an official statement by Disney. The untitled fifth Indiana Jones movie, July 19th, 2019. Harrison Ford, Spielberg, Kathleen Kennedy, and Frank Marshall producing. Yeah, it's so... I just, uh... Oh. I mean... Oh, Colin. <laughs> so, what and where? I just, uh... In, Harrison Ford will be 77 years old at that point. Uh, so where where do we go? I mean, we everybody thought that Kingdom of the Crystal Skull was going to be a... Yeah, a handoff. Yeah, the handoff. Uh, and, man, that failed miserably for so many reasons. Um, yeah. It's probably not even worth talking about here. I still really try very hard and with a moderate degree of success to pretend that that movie never happened and that I never saw it. Um, (laughs) I only remember vague impressions and uh, details, small details. Um, So, I mean, is this Spielberg and Ford trying again? Is, Is this them saying, okay... We know the aliens and Shia LaBeouf and the fact that we moved away from this whole motif of religious artifact symbolism into this shenanigan. Like, we we forgot it. The fact that we forgot every—we understand we messed up and forgot everything about the original three films Mm -hmm. that made them successful. Let's try again. Is that is that what we're gonna see? Are are we gonna are we gonna see a Logan? <laughs> I think that that's the hope. That's what one would hope for. I mean, obviously that's what I mean. We won. 
I don't know if that's going to be true, though. I mean, I don't have any faith. I, <laughs> so this is a Disney-owned property? Right? Because yeah. it's a Lux film? Yeah. So I have faith in Disney, um, but I, I just... I mean, well, you know, George Lucas is not mentioned anywhere in this press yeah. bulletin. And and by all you you're right. And, and I guess by all intents and purposes, he's kind of the one that railroaded the the last one. Which although for all the shit I talk about George Lucas, he was a big part of the success of the first 3 films, yeah. which makes it so so baffling. Like what happened to these people? They just they got successful and the, the checks and balances that created compromise and yeah. kept them, you know, anchored to reality or gone and they just make shit. Uh, so I just I don't really care about this franchise anymore. I I'm perfectly fine with the first three films and now we'll pretend that Kingdom of the Crystal Call doesn't exist. And I would be, I could be perfectly happy going on going about my way. I don't need another one. Especially I mean at this point, dude, Harrison Floyd is like Flying planes into other planes, and like I just, I, I don't want to. This could be really sad. I mean, like you said, the guy's seventy-seven years old. Uh, he. It, hey, you know, I'd like to point out Sean Connery's still alive. <laughs> Sean, Sean Connery's eighty-six. I mean, let's bring yeah. everybody back. Bring, bring him out of retirement. <laughs> Yeah, he's only been retired five years. I mean, you know, you you make that paycheck big enough, and you you see what happens. Oh, God, no, just please, <laughs> dude. Can you imagine, real quick? Imagine a set that has Harrison Ford, Sean Connery, and Shia LaBeouf on it. Sean Connery would end up killing Shia LaBeouf. I mean, Sean Connery in his prime would. There's there's a great great story about Sean Connery that I love, where he was. I think it was on the set of a. It might not have been a Bond film. It might have been a Bond film, but one of the the femme fatales was dating a like a low tier mobster or wannabe criminal or something and the guy was threatened by Connery like making thought Connery was making moves on his lady and he came in to came on set one day to basically tell Connery to back off and pulled a gun on him and Connery took the gun away from this guy <laughs> uh, <laughs> And basically humiliated him and drove him off the set. Like, grabbed grabbed his arm, you know, twisted his arm and t- took the gun away from him. And guy was six foot two and a and an amateur bodybuilder yeah. before he got his start in film. So, yeah, I'm sure Sean Connery in his prime would have stomped the piss out of Shia LaBeouf. He, and I would have I would have paid a lot of money to see. I that. think Sean Connery could probably do it right now. How about that? Eighty six year old Sean Connery. <laughs> Old man strength. How about that? Yeah, yeah. Wow. What are we even talking about? Uh, this is this is much better. We ended up at a much happier place than we <laughs> we started. Yeah, from. right. So, uh, I mean, really, I don't think there's much else to say. No. But uh, this has been sort of one of those things that we could have 
brushed off. We've been brushing off as a rumor for a while. Yeah. And has been whispered for a while. Ad nauseum. Now it, it's real. It's really happening. We can't pretend it doesn't exist anymore. So, uh, Quick Rian. Why do all these movies that we don't want to get made get made and the movies that we do want to get made don't get made? It's Andrea. it's our it's our burden, Brian. It's our this is it's our cross to bear. <laughs> we su- we suffer. Yeah, there we, we go. Suffer for this. <laughs> all right. Um, so Samuel L. Jackson did an interview on Hot 97, which if if you're not an American or you don't know, is basically the most famous hip hop radio station. In the country, it's a uh, it's a New York mainstay. It's where a lot of rappers have gotten their start, um, and what he said is he he said a lot of things. So I'll, I'll read I'll read some quotes. Uh, there are a lot of black British actors in these movies. I tend to wonder what that movie, referring to Get Out, would have been with an American brother who really feels that. Daniel grew up in a country where they where they've been interracial dating for a hundred years, what would a brother from America have made of that role? Some things are universal, but... And with the implication that not everything is universal. Um, So... (laughs) And then when somebody asks why so many black British actors are cast in American films, he said, they're cheaper than us for one thing. They don't cost as much. And they, referring to casting agents and directors, presumably, or maybe referring to the actors themselves, and they think they're better trained because they're classically trained. So, and then, (laughs) John Boyega fired back on Twitter uh, yesterday and said, Black Brits versus African Americans, a stupid-ass conflict we don't have time for. So this is really... Really interesting. I I wonder what led Jackson to weigh in on this. Be- because on one hand, like black actors are so underrepresented in Hollywood, and the yeah. roles they have access to are so limited, and it's it is hard to make it. Um, and I guess I could you could see this recent trend of although is it really a recent trend uh, I mean maybe so there there have been some large profile ones recently right John Boyega himself yeah in Star Wars uh, uh, but David Oelio Oelio I don't know how to say his name um, horrible names obviously yeah um, in Selma um, and then Idris Elba. Idris Elba, although Idris Elba has kind of not really broken into that leading man Hollywood no, casting. You're right. You're right. Oh, he deserves to be. But uh, I'm then, just naming black British actors. Okay, Colin. fair enough. And obviously Daniel Kalu- <laughs> Kaluuya. Yeah. Um, That's just me. to name a few. I mean, that Samuel Jackson has a point. I mean, to a certain extent. Uh, Hollywood does, I think, seem to gravitate more towards um, those. And I think there is a little bit of racism in that because there is a perception, I think, of 
the classically trained black Brit British actor versus the African American actor uh, African American actor aren't typically exposed to that kind of theater and drama. Some are like that should be clear that some are. Some have been acting for a long time, but you think of like the most popular or award-winning actors. Um, you know, was Denzel classically trained? I think he was. I think he cut his teeth on stage early on, right? I really have no idea <clears throat> where Denzel started. But I mean, Jimmy Fox, not so much. You know, Jimmy. But Jimmy Fox has a musical background too. That's yeah, that's, yeah. which gives him an edge. That's a good point. So, so yeah, on one hand, you know. It, it would be easy to say that Samuel L. Jackson should just be happy to see black men getting work, but mm-hmm. on the other hand, there might be validity to this idea that there, the importing of leading men to play these, these roles is interfering with the ability of black American actors to find success in Hollywood. On the other hand, I think you could make an argument that there <laughs> these are just legitimate casting decisions that yeah. the P- and Jordan Peele has talked about this. He he's he even agreed with Samuel L. Jackson to a certain extent. He said that he was kind of hesitant to hire Kaluuya um, and it wasn't really until they, I, I guess, a screen test, and they had some conversations about the idea that this was this was not a uniquely American phenomenon. Um, this well-intentioned, gentle white liberal racism—it mm-hmm. um, was something that Kalia could relate to. Uh, that that seems to be what helped Peel kind of get over his reticence. Uh, in casting him but you know it, the the thing I I can't help but notice is that it happens with white male leads too um, I, I mean Christian Bale Tom Hardy there are always there are always big name British actors playing Americans Daniel Day-Lewis um, Daniel Day-Lewis to varying degrees of success like Man, Benedict Cumberbatch's accents are atrocious. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but he has made Ewan the... McGregor's American accent is usually yeah, garbage. Yeah, it's not great. Uh, who, who else? Fassbender does not do a great American accent no. for as talented as he is. Right. And these are all... These are all British men who are have worked in Hollywood with great success the problem is there are lots of roles available for white males, a white yeah. leading man uh, so I don't know it's it, it's annoying at face value I think for me and maybe that's not fair uh, and I think maybe the, and this gets at what John Boyega's response was it draws a maybe a distinction that is counterproductive or creates kind of a, a dichotomy that doesn't need to be there. But on the other hand, it's, it is hard for these black, black leading men in America to find work. So at the end of the day, the, it's not like it's not a problem that 
these actors need to address. It's a it's a systemic problem. Agreed. So I agree. The, the solution is the same no matter what. But uh, yeah, I thought it was interesting. This coming from Samuel L. Jackson, the the person who has been in like more high grossing films yeah. than any other actor in history. Right. Uh, I, I, I'm with you, man. I'm I'm right there with you. My, the other thing that I would say about this before we move on is. There is a certain, a certain, certain, a certain, a certain <laughs> type of actor that appeals to American sensibilities, and I think that that is why the the Brits are so popular for for American roles, uh, and what I mean by that is. When you're you like there's an idea of of yourself that you like to project on screen, and even when a British person is playing uh, an American, so when Christian Bale is is playing Bruce Wayne, just for instance, I feel like there's a certain air of like dignity that that that, that they portray, like just in the way that they talk in their English. Uh, most Americans, even in American, like just just do do an exercise once. Once what? What? Oh my God! I can't talk today. I'm yeah. Tom, watch a Tom Hanks film, and watch the way he says words, the way that he his dialect is, uh, his affectation is, and watch that versus a uh, Christian Bale. It's 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 a it's a very interesting thing. Um, there are very few actors who, when they talk um, in their normal tone, you'd be like, whoa, that guy's British. I didn't know. Christian Bale is one of them. I was like, his accent is like indecipherable when he doesn't it doesn't have the American accent going on. Um, I don't know. I just think it's very interesting. I think that <sighs> there is a certain amount of skill that I think, and that's kind of what Samuel Jackson is portraying, is talking to here. And I think that has to do with enunciation and being clear. That's kind of my point. Yeah, but uh, I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, and I, I think that maybe even applies less to black actors working on Hollywood, especially because they're asked to conform to the same or similar roles sure. I mean, so often. Yeah. Uh, and I think Kaluuya's performance in Get Out was a good example of that. That's He's, a good point. You know, um, and then Christian Bale. like Christian Bale is one of those... F- Actors who is so talented that he can do re- he can do a regional dialect of a country that he's not from. I mean, okay, fair enough. Like he won an Academy Award. You know, I like that. I don't might, know. That, might, that might have been a bad a bad. Yeah. But uh, and I, I take your point, and that is a good point, and that made me actually makes me think of something else. Is I think a bigger larger point would be hey how about we start casting African Americans in roles that don't have to do about race you know every it seems like every war that they've won it it's been you know I realize that race is a huge part of their life but part of moving past discrimination is having a black person just be a person on screen there there are definitely roles where the race or ethnicity or what have you of the character is not 
is not important. It's not a core part of the, the story or the, the film. And sadly, that there is just even in situations like that, there's not a lot of diversity in casting. So you're right. If you have an opinion on this, we would love to hear it, and you should write us an email. Midnightfilmreview at gmail.com. Let let us know. Do you agree with Sam Jackson? Do you agree with John Boyega? Do you fall somewhere in the middle? Are you just don't know what to think? Do you just want to send us pictures of cats? What what whatever's on your mind? Midnightfilmreview at gmail.com. We will read your email live recorded on the air. And I think you wanted to give a, a special shout out to all our many Live and... <laughs> alive. They're all alive. <laughs> live and... Uh, and and dead? S- no, I, like s- synthetic or artificial <laughs> listeners. The bots. Um, how, do you, <laughs> we, just, we just had a big uh, unconfirmed, unconfirmed leak a couple days ago. You think, uh, <laughs> you think any of our, our listeners are actually CIA malware? They could be. Prob- yeah. Probably is. But by me saying like that or Sector 7, do you think yeah. we just ended up on a list somewhere? No, we probably are. Thanks, Colin. My worst fear come true. Anyways, uh, what he's trying to say is we just reached 10,000 downloads. Uh, to me, that's a big milestone. I am very excited. This is shaping up to be our best month ever. We couldn't do it without our listeners, uh, real or not. So thank yeah. you. In, uh, in another 10 years... We can start thinking about <laughs> making the jump to advertising and monetizing this whole yeah. thing, you know? So, yeah. in it for the long haul. Ten-year <laughs> plan, baby. But seriously, thank you guys for listening. Uh, it's, you know, it is it is weird to think about that our show has been listened to, or at least downloaded, 10,000 times. And I don't really know what that means, and it doesn't really feel real to me, but (laughs) to anybody who helped get us to where we are, thank you, and we really appreciate it. It's, I I just, I guess the idea that anybody would willingly listen to hear, listen to my opinion about (laughs) anything, it's just, it's, it's absurd, so it's, it's hard for me to, I guess, to get over that, get over that threshold. Good point, good point. All right, so so we heard from Will this week, this past week. Uh, Will says, Midnighters, so I saw Get Out, and I must say I was very disappointed. The 100% on Rotten Tomatoes seemed very undeserved. I feel weird being in league with Armin White, but I'm willing to stand with him as a lone, dis- as lone dissenting voice. I'm not necessarily agreeing with his views because he seems to be coming from the perspective of an African-American, something I'm not. Uh, I think that the statements of the film on race are very astute. My main beef with the film is that the movie wasn't thrilling or scary. There was never a moment where I wasn't sure that Rose and her family were motivated by nefarious means. I never, for a second, thought Chris was going to die. The movie wasn't surprising, and the last act felt rushed and contrived. I agree with Brian's assessment on the red box, but I'm even more infuriated with the treatment of the cell phone. She unplugged it? Why not destroy it? Here's another question. If Catherine Keener's hypnosis was so powerful, why give Chris free reign in the place? Keep him in a state of hypnosis throughout. Wasn't there, why wasn't there a constant video feed on Chris at all times? I could go on. The movie was okay. It certainly didn't deserve 100%. What did you think, guys think about White's review? Thanks, Will. Uh, White's review was garbage. White, I, I, it, it didn't even seem like he 
watch the entire film, <laughs> yeah, really, it, which makes it kind of hard to take anything he has to say seriously. It seemed, and here's the thing: is like it, when he when I read the review, it doesn't seem like he's critiquing the movie at all. It seems like he's crit- critiquing Peel's opinion of race relations. Yeah, it, you, it doesn't like the it, the critique of the movie is this is a post Obama a post Obama uh, liberal black liberal experience, and I, I mean I yeah I mean so the the critiques you provide with the film are more concrete than I feel like anything he yeah. had any. Issues he w- w- was interested in raising about the film as a film, um, and I I generally agree with where I totally understand where you're coming from. the The Rotten Tomatoes thing you, you have to remember that Rotten Tomatoes is a is a binary review aggregator. So even if you gave this movie a you know a sixty five percent out of a hundred percent, that's probably still a, right. a fresh rating, yeah. a positive rating, according to Rotten Tomatoes. So, yeah. the the meta score was not that not, well. No, it was still pretty good. I think it was still in the eighties somewhere. Yeah. Um, but not this movie was not getting like ten out of tens from right. everybody. Yeah. It's it it there are some. It, it's not a perfect film. There are some imperfections or some areas where it I I see different objections being raised. Uh, so, I think the, what, where you and I differed was being sure that Rose was part of what was going on. Uh, and it kind of keeps you guessing. Uh, I guess I could see you being skeptical and thinking that she was in on it the whole time, but I was not sure that was the case uh, until you kind of... And and I guess another part of your critique is the idea is that they've done this like a a bunch of times and Mm -hmm. they've never had any problems before. Right. You know, the, the the control over Chris was accomplished through the hypnosis but it was mostly accomplished through Rose and that's why there these other any other you know backups I, or safeguards weren't necessary in the context of the film but I, I understand what you're saying you know? the, the only point where I was like kind of unsure of Rose's uh, role in this where I was like, oh, she maybe she is a part of this. Is when she when they go for a walk and then they have like the the, the auction, it, it, because it just that seemed too obvious. Like it, it seemed set up. They were waiting for him to leave for them to have the auction. That was when I was like, oh, is she is she part of this? Is she? Not that I knew, but I de- that's my, when my my antennas kind of started picking up some some different vibes. Yeah. But I never I mean, obviously you know that something's going on in the house. It's in the trailers, if you saw the trailers, you understand what the movie's about. You know yeah. something's going to happen. Um I guess my only like skepticism was whether or not it was going to be all in his head or his perception of of the situation. Yeah, and the the cell phone thing, so the reason they in the context of the film that they didn't destroy it is because they're they don't want to like set off any alarms, any alarm bells. It, they're just trying to 
limit his ability to access information and think critically. But they're not trying to, you know, if if you wanted to use your phone and you felt like something was wrong and then somebody destroyed your phone, uh, I, I think that would be... The audience would have an easier time mm-hmm. saying, "Well, this is ridiculous. Like, why wouldn't he just leave, or why didn't he know something was going on?" Right. So it's it's the the subtle it, subtle and building. You know, what I, sorry, what, I didn't mean no, that, that's you know, what I just thought of a, would have been funny bet is if uh, like they're like, "Oh, we do need to destroy the phone." So like somebody like accidentally spills a drink on his phone. And then he's like, oh, don't worry. It's the, the one phone where you can, like, you see it's it. Lil Wayne advertising. Yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh, don't worry about it. And he just, yeah. yeah. That would have been brilliant. I, I mean, they already had plenty of Windows product placement. That's you know. Good point. Who knows? That there true. could be a competing agenda there. That's a good point. I, I, would, that, I would have lost it. <laughs> I would have lost it if that was the case. Sorry. But anyway. Actually, there, there could have been a fun, uh, a fun idea to poke, to mock sort of, like, Maybe their <laughs> his like technical I don't know him being up to date with technology oh, and being yeah. out of touch with it and yeah I, yeah whatever well whatever. we'll we'll save we'll save it for our screenplay there you go, there you go. N- yeah. nice uh nice um nice email well thank yeah. you thanks again for writing in and for being a regular contributor and you too can become a Just midnight like film review. Star contributor. All you have to do is open up that email client, smash your fingers, roll your face, roll your face across the keyboard, and fire off an email to midnightfilmreview at gmail.com. And uh, we will respond to you and, and give you a shout out. Um, so until then, I think we'll be right back with some media hot takes. And we're back with media hot takes. Hot takes. <laughs> Possum free this week. Uh, hopefully forever. Oh, I mean, that'll never happen. Yeah, you're right. She'll be back. She. <laughs> Life finds a way. <laughs> That's true. As a, a rock star mathematician once said. <laughs> so, uh, you know what? I guess I should probably start off since I okay. contribute to this segment so little, so so seldomly. <laughs> Um, this is uh, this is something that I probably never would have ended up watching on my own, but I have watched thanks to my girlfriend, and I think it's worth talking about. So there is a show called The Great British Baking Show, or The Great British Bake Off. It has aired for a bunch of seasons on BBC, and... I, I want to say it. it's kind of been in the news recently because after the seventh season, the the hosts the hosts are changing. Um, basically, their contract with the BBC expired. Some other network bought the rights to the show, and it's probably not going to be quite the same show. Hmm. Uh, it, there are, I think... Three seasons available on Netflix right now. Uh, you can maybe find some on Amazon. Uh, anyway, 
It is it is a reality TV show. It is a competition for amateur bakers, and it's reality TV. But it is so unlike American reality TV that it, it it's almost it, it's refreshing. How about that? I think that's a great way to to say it. Um, there there's no drama. They don't show the contestants when they're not on set baking. Oh, interesting. They they don't manipulate people or manipulate the audience. Every episode, the bakers come in, and they've had a week between episodes to sort of practice two of the things they're going to work on. And then they have to bake three dishes. And one of them is a technical baking challenge where they're given basically a type of thing to work on, a type of thing to bake. Like, uh, I think there's one, breadsticks. Like, they all have to bake breadsticks. Um, and they know about that one ahead of time. And it, it's all it's all done to time limit. So they have, like, what, two hours to bake it. Mm-hmm. Uh, then... There is a another challenge where they are given a recipe with certain details omitted, like the amount of time you have to prove something, the the temperature you have to bake, um, and it how they interpret the recipe and how they make it work. It, they're judged on that, and then there is a like a showcase challenge where they again. There's some theme that they know about ahead of time, and they have like four hours to make this huge, you know, or make this really interesting, unique interpretation of whatever it is they're baking that week. Mm. And every week, somebody is sent home, and at the end of the season, somebody is crowned a champion. Cool. But Everybody is talented. Everybody supports one another. Uh, and it's really just a showcase for these amateur bakers. Uh, they, there's not, there's no flashiness. Uh, you get to see their creativity and their talent. Um, and at the end of the day, it's just so authentic and cordial compared to Anything you will ever see that is branded as reality television in America. Um, even the... So there is like the two... There's two judges, Mary Berry and Paul Hollywood. And Mary Berry is like basically a meme. She's like this sweet, sweet old British lady. She's, oh, this is... The flavors are ever so, ever so delightful. <laughs> <laughs> and Paul Hollywood is like the... Simon Cowell of the show, <laughs> but even he is so mild. Mm-hmm. Like it, it just you know, it, I don't know. Like <laughs> even at his worst, he's still a a a, a good guy. <laughs> you know, he doesn't yeah. like tear people apart. He gives honest criticism, and so it's. <sighs> The, the other thing about this show is I don't really eat desserts or sweets, and I. it's one of those things where they make things that look so good that even I would be, 
I'm like, man, You're I salivating. haven't craved like that in so long. Yeah. Uh, uh, and it's it's interesting to see how much work and talent and knowledge goes in and creativity goes into baking things. It's not just desserts. There's also anything baked, bread, cookies, uh, you know, things you haven't even heard of. They do it all on this show. Um, it's a nice way to like unwind from the stresses of life. Cool. You know, they bake in this tent facility in like this beautiful meadow on some old <laughs> nice. property. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's the Great British Baking Show or the Great British Bake Off. Uh, again, there are a couple seasons on Netflix. I think PBS used to air some of it. I think some of it's on Amazon to rent. So if you're looking for something different or you like to watch people bake, you should definitely check it out. If it was American, they would all live in a house together, and then they would fight over who was screwing who. Yeah. And then one dude would get caught fucking a cake and then get kicked off the show. And they would deny them access to any form of entertainment or outside communication exactly. and lock them in in a, in in a giant house with a bunch of alcohol. And condoms, yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> speaking of condoms, I watched The Edge of Seventeen. Um, this movie came out... Uh, I think towards the end of the summer. I think we we talked about maybe reviewing it. It got decent reviews. It it got really good reviews. Yeah, it actually, yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It, it got really good reviews. It's a 77 on Metascore. Yeah. Uh, there was even talk about it getting nominated for awards. Um, this movie. So I'm gonna do a quick plug here for my website, the Midnight Film Review web blog. I wrote an opinion piece a while back called "Why We Need Another Teen Movie." And I grew up obsessed with teen movies. I love that genre for many reasons. And from basically Fast Times Run High, early 80s, late 70s, all the way until right around 2002, the teenage comedy was a cash cow for Hollywood. These movies were cheap to make. They brought in tons of profit, but somewhere along the line, they kind of were co-opted by, like, Twilight. These YA novels were turned into teen movies, and, and now we don't, ever, we don't have this type of film anymore. But the thing that struck me about Edge of Seventeen, which was written by Kelly Freeman Craig, this is her first time ever directing. She's written a few other things, but fairly new to Hollywood, is... This movie is about more than just laughs. It's about more than just life. It's a culmination of these characters' lives crashing in together. And there's so much meaning and and emotion that she brings to the screen. It doesn't necessarily feel like a, a, a teen a teen comedy, even though it is hilarious. Haley Steinfeld plays Nadine. She's the main character. And she is... A revelation. I, I remember her being in uh, the Coen Brothers remake of True Grit and thinking, she that's a great young, talented actress. She's going to be something. But she is genuinely funny. She has great comedic timing. Um, her best friend is played by Haley Lee Richardson, um, who was in Split. She starred as Claire in Split. Not a big role, but that's pretty much the only thing. Their chemistry together is, is amazing. But... Her chemistry with Woody Harrelson, who plays her teacher, Mr. Bruner, is something that 
I just, I reveled in. This is a movie that I will recommend to anyone of any age because the life issues that it deals with of being an outcast, but at the same time being determined. And the great thing about this movie is Nadine's character is a loner, not because she's an ugly duckling, not because she's weird, not because she's a minority or an outcast. It's because she's an asshole. She is a genuinely unlikable person. And there is something happens early on in the film in her life that kind of pushes her that way and that she didn't deal with emotionally well. But it comes back to she realizes that she can't make everyone in her life come to her. She needs to go to them on their on, on, on some levels. Just a really refreshing teen eighteen movie. Coming of age drama, unlike anything I've seen in, in years. Um I'm really happy that I saw this movie um, with my wife because we it was a movie that um, I wanted to see but she really wanted to see and I'd kind of been putting it off and I, I don't know, I recommend it it's it's a it's a great date date movie because it is funny it is heartwarming and the performances are excellent so edge of 17 if you haven't seen it highly recommend it one of the funniest movies I've seen in a long time genuinely laugh out loud funny and has a lot of heart so check it out all right well i think that's going to do it for media hot takes we'll be back with a spoiler free review of logan logan starring hugh jackman uh, Sir Patrick Stewart. Sir Patrick Stewart. Uh, Stephen Merchant. And what? what is the uh, the young lady's name? Daphne Keene. Daphne Keene. Who played, uh, played X-23. Yes. Which may be... No, actually, no, it's not a spoiler. No, it's, it's in the trailers. So, let's... I mean, is what do you think about the IMDb synopsis? Is that does that do it justice? Yeah, I think so. Do you want me to read it? Yeah, go ahead. In the near future, a weary Logan cares for an ailing Professor X in a hideout, a hideout on the Mexican border. But Logan's attempts to hide him from the world and his legacy are are upended when a young mutant arrives, being pursued by dark forces. I think that is is a actually a very, very good. Very spoiler-free synopsis. Yes. Um, so, this film was written and directed by James Mangold. Uh, and then J- there were a few other people who helped with the screenplay. He doesn't have the only writing credit. Uh, Scott Frank and Michael Green also helped write the screenplay. Um, so, it, this is one of those things where... And I, I was laughing with Brian earlier because people there's this huge <laughs> thread on Reddit where people were so confused about the universe and the timeline and the continuity with other X Men films. Yeah. This, this is just this is a standalone film. It features characters you are probably familiar with. This does not directly have anything to do with any other X Men film, uh, and. Trying to see it that way, I if you if you went in with that 
preconceived notion that would probably be very confusing. So this features yeah characters you're familiar with uh, in in the future, and the world is revealed to you through the course of the film without without exposition, just uh, the way <laughs> the way it should be. Um, people. <clears throat> People talk about this being related to Old Man Logan, and maybe it would be fair to say that it was inspired by Old Man Logan, but they are much more different than they are similar. Um, so, and, and I don't really think, I mean... I don't even think it's worth talking about Old Man Logan uh, because they're just... The ideas are so different. Um, Yeah, so anyway, this is... Don't let anyone tell you, you know, anything different. This is a standalone film. Uh, This is an original script, original screenplay, with maybe a part of it very loosely inspired by something else, but this is something new. You don't have to have seen something or read something if you're just sort of familiar with who Wolverine, who Logan is, and who Xavier is. That's all the context you need for this film. Uh, So, all right, backstory, all that stuff out of the way. I I thought it might be important to address that for people who haven't seen this yet or who are confused. This film was a... I expected it to be good, but this was a a big surprise for me nonetheless. Uh, It is a very, very character-driven film. It is about relationships between these three characters it is a sad and haunting film. There are some just heartbreaking moments. Uh, it's still it's still an action film. Don't get me wrong. The action is visceral and it's violent and it's brutal and graphic and uncomfortable. And honestly, if there was a feral mutant man with super sharp metal claws who had to kill people, I imagine that this is kind of how it would look and feel. Uh, Not the ridiculous sanitized PG-13 violence we've gotten with every Wolverine appearance in film up until now. Um, man, there are just there are some scenes where there is one scene in particular where he is just killing people, and it's not him defending himself. He hasn't been provoked. He is just just fucking killing people <laughs> <laughs> with with giant metal claws. Uh, uh, the the performances are incredible, um, and especially I, I know Hugh Jackman is you know he's a triple threat whatever he's a great actor, but I really feel like he 
earned. Yeah, the, he might as well have been phoning it in in the other X Men films yeah. compared to this, and that's not his fault. It's it's the fault of the scripts and the tone of the film. But he actually he actually has a chance to act in this film, and he does a a fantastic job. Uh, it. This is just it's it's a road it's a road movie. It's so different from any other comic book film I've ever seen, and I absolutely thoroughly enjoyed it. So I'll, I'll, I've talked for long enough. You know, I I couldn't agree with you more. That you called it a road movie, and I think of the lofty goals that were set by Marvel Studios. It has nothing to do with this movie, but Marvel Studios said we want to take each one of our our characters we want to make a movie we want to make a heist film we want to make a spy thriller we want to do all these things and they've done that somewhat but they've kind of always stuck to their um, their method their their formula they haven't veered too much from that formula well one of the issue, one of the difficulties with that is they're still even if they want to sort of move towards genre films they're still stuck in the context of this extended universe, right. right? Everything still has to fit into this framework somehow. And Logan, they don't have to worry about that. Mm-hmm. So, and, and that is in their benefit. That is to Logan's benefit because it is very much a road movie. It's very much a Western. It's very much, and there's, I mean, it draws on so many genres and I think that's what makes this movie work so well is that it's beholden to it's it's not beholden to a source material per se. It's just really true to its characters, and it doesn't it doesn't like you were mentioning earlier. I don't. It doesn't matter what happened in in Days of Future Past. It doesn't matter what happened in Apocalypse. It doesn't matter what happened in X two or three. This movie is about two men who have an, a loyalty to each other, a sheer amount of affection for each other, um, and their their mission and. It's it's such a gorgeous film. The performances are amazing. I mean, the little girl, Daphne Keene, she is fabulous. Yeah. She is absolutely fabulous. You know, uh, there's been talk. Uh, it's probably for not, but there's talk of Patrick Stewart getting nominated. Um, that this, that, but that's the level of acting that's on portray in this film. And I, I was blown away. I haven't felt this way about a comic book slash superhero movie since The Dark Knight. Just the level of effort put into the story and the performance was was amazing. And I think the thing that really stuck out to me was the how emotional I was throughout this film. And it's not just all oh, the endings emotional or this the climax is emotional. There are meaningful moments throughout this film that draw um, emotion from you. Because one, because you've known this character for a long time, sure. That's where that part I kind of I think can go into the other films. Is you've been with this character before, but this if this movie if those other movies never existed and this movie wasn't Wolverine and it was just about these characters, it would be just as powerful and emotional and as fulfilling as it was in the end. I I mean, I this was a gorgeous. Movie and James Mangold, who has done a ton of great work before, um, he's a very accomplished director and writer, and 
I think he was perfect for this this film, and he did su- he did such a a great job of building the world. Because even though you think you know the X-Men world, this is something totally different. Yeah. And he, the way that he built this, slowly, methodically, but didn't draw it out, and I don't know. I'm just in love with this movie. I really am. It, it broke my heart, but it, it, was, it, it was a great experience. It's, the cinematography is great. The direction is great. The writing is great. The acting is great. Um, and there's hiccups along the way, just, I mean, like any movie... Um, but there's some things that are on the nose. But Steve Merchant's performance as Caliban was phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Unlike anything I guarantee you've ever seen him do before. Um, just an all-around uh, excellent movie. Yeah. this. What I did not expect is that I would have probably enjoyed this film just as much without any or without most of the action beats. Yeah. That's uh, a great point. The... And there are some really phone, I don't want to say phoned in, but there are some things that happen in the film that are just totally expected, that are telegraphed a mile away. And it doesn't matter because the writing and the connection that has to do with these characters and the relationship with one another takes center stage. Uh, it's more important than the fact that this is an action movie. Uh, it's more important than the fact that this is a superhero movie. Um, just uh, not not something I could have really an- anticipated. Um, there and there are just some. There are some really heartbreaking moments in this film and not necessarily where I thought they would be mm-hmm. uh, but yeah the, this this film is is a, is a great movie and it does not rely on being an action film does not rely on being an X-Men film almost to the point where I felt like some of the action beats detracted from the rest of the movie. I agree. That's such a weird thing to say. Like the, it, yeah, where I would have just rather spent more time with the characters uh, and less time with the spectacle. And I think that's a testament to the the strengths of this film and what it did well. So, uh, you know, and that being said, like, Obviously, if you like action movies, you like superhero movies, go see this film. But I think this film, you know, should appeal to a wider audience, too. But it is, when it's violent, it is very violent. So I don't know how to, like, bridge that recommendation. Like, I... It's one like, of the... what, like what, so I usually think like would I tell my mom to go see this film? Yeah. And I think my mom would enjoy this film, but I also think she would have to like spend a lot of time looking away. Uh-huh. So if that makes any sense to you as to who you should tell to go see this film, it is it is a worthwhile experience. I so my girlfriend who hates superhero movies, um, 
came and does not like violence came to see this film and I asked her <laughs> she she can't draw this distinction she can't like movies that don't make her feel good mm-hmm. right but what she said was I asked her what she thought and she said it was really depressing it was a great movie <laughs> <laughs> but she you know it I think it was just it's not her kind of film but just the fact that that was her takeaway uh, mm-hmm. I thought you know was just testament to the the strengths of the film so yeah I don't think I don't have anything else I don't think we should go to spoilers yeah um <laughs> yeah let's uh let's ru- ruin ruin let's, some stuff we'll yeah, find some stuff to ruin we'll yeah. be right back with spoilers for Logan Spoiler alert. Uh, Everyone's dead. Yeah. Except for the little girl. She lives on. That's what you think. I see. <laughs> so I, I want to talk about a scene in particular that uh, there's so much that we could spoil, but there are a few parts that um, I wanted to talk about in particular. The scene where Professor X gets stabbed in the chest was. It, that to me is a monumental scene in cinema. Dude, that that scene broke me. It was that scene broke me. I kept saying it's a dream, wake up, and it wasn't. And it I, that was that was one of the one of the most. So uh, I was that was a rough experience. I was crying in that scene before they killed the professor, just because he's coming to terms with mm. what he did. That, that monologue is so beautiful. It was, it's it was so painful. He's he's coming to terms with the fact that he killed these killed the people that he that meant the most to him mm-hmm. in the world, and that in spite of that, Logan has been taking care of him all this time. He mm-hmm. finally he remembers what he he did. He has this moment of clarity, and then this person he thinks is Logan kills him. And and then Logan finds him, and he's like, it wasn't me, it wasn't me, and you don't really know if it's too late or not. Uh, that's just... Like, oh my god. Didn't see that, I didn't see that coming. Like, I, I mean, I, I didn't think that it was going to end well for him or Professor, you, or, or uh, Wolverine, or we, Logan. Yeah. You know Logan is going to sacrifice himself, and you just sort of assume that maybe... The professor will have his moment of redemption, mm-hmm. but he he does not have any redemption. He damns this family. Yeah, uh, and con- condemns them to death, and Logan can't, you know, can't say no to him. Um, that was a really hard part for me too. When that family dies, I, I was that 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 whole portion of the movie, I was struggling. Not gonna lie, it's uh, it's so it's so fucking dark. It's so fucking dark. Um, I feel like that. I I, I want to give first of all. I want to clap for Fox <laughs> for allowing Mangle to make this movie. Really, we should be clapping for. I mean, Deadpool. Yes. Yeah. yeah right. I mean, without Deadpool, we wouldn't have this. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. This movie owes a lot to Deadpool. Um. And you, but you're absolutely correct. And I. I yeah. That's just. Those are very. 
tough scene. The other scene that I want to talk about was, and I mentioned to you, like, I wish they wouldn't have spoiled that in the trailer. Um, he's burying um, Professor X, and she reaches up uh, Laura, or, or Weapon. Laura. Uh, or, or X-23 uh, reaches up for Logan's hand, and for a minute, he allows her to grab his hand, but what they don't show you in the trailer, obviously if you're at this point you've seen the movie, he pulls away in a sort of violent manner because... Uh, and that just, that, that part... Which I, I thought was just as important as the part that they showed. So in, in my mind, it... Like there wasn't enough context in the trailer to like ruin right. that for me. So, but I, I mean, I understand. You know, but it was such a sweet and sour moment because she, this little girl who's just been through hell, and she reaches up to her father to comfort him, and he rejects her. That was just it was a very. Uh, it, it stuck me. It, it really did. It stuck me in, in my heart. In my heartstrings. Um, yeah. Uh, th- those are the two moments um, other than the end, which I think we'll get there. But anything you want to talk about? No, I mean, their, and their chemistry in that scene in the car where he is, like, trying to give up on her. Oh, she punches face. That was awesome. I mean, the fact that the film could make you laugh after, like, the things that have happened. Uh-huh. It just... And, and those are the part... Parts of the film that are so good. Um, mm-hmm. But how... Dude, how fucking brutal was it watching him claw his way into that hotel room uh-huh. and just... Execute those people so gra- so graphically. Uh, and in my head, I'm like, can you imagine? They're, they're literally, they see it coming, they know what's happening, and there's nothing they can do about it. <laughs> it's it's such a yeah, fucked up thing conceptually. I, and I was trying to like explain the way I feel about this to my girlfriend. Like, just it's it's so refreshing to me to see violence where there are consequences mm-hmm. and she like did not get it at all like I'm not I'm not trying to say like I enjoy the gore or I you know wish things were gorier but that, like if if you have this man who is stabbing people then it's going to be brutal and horrific yeah. and bloody and right We've just been getting this sanitized violence where there's no consequences for the things he he does. Yeah, I mean, think of and, X X two or whatever where he stabs a guy in the chest yeah. with both, and there's no blood. I mean, yeah. it's just. And compare that with this one scene, where he is deliberately, slowly, murdering people, and they can see it coming and have no chance to react to it. And I mean, there. And the the choices, the choices he made with this character, um, you know, his his relationship with the professor, uh, mm-hmm. the these men who have made these mistakes and you know are still carrying on and still there for one another, the the loyalty he still has for Xavier. Uh, which is really the only thing that's keeping him alive. Yeah. 
Uh, God, it. So here, like hearing Hugh Jackman talk about the fact that he, he he was really he thought he was. He said like I'm gonna keep doing this forever at one point, and then I think after that he kind of said, I don't think I want to do this anymore, and he wasn't going to. He he really wanted to hold out for something special mm-hmm. for like a special script. I can't think of any better way to close the chapter on this. I agree. I mean, and but it's not like this film would have meant any less if this was his first and only performance of the character. Uh, no, you're right. I agree, hundred uh, percent. I get you know, and there would have been less context there, the, so it's okay. hard to say, but. I, well, I think that the ending, the actual ending where she takes the cross and turns it to an X, yeah. wouldn't be as meaningful. But the emotional beats are still, I think, going to feel just as strong. And they may feel stronger because of our attachment, but that that last part, I think, really, I mean, it, because we've watched all the X-Men films, for better or for worse. Yeah, mostly for worse, if uh, you ask me. But, yeah, no, and I, I get that. I mean, I think X2 and and, and um, First Class are, are good movies. But, yeah, I think the turning of, of, of that to an X was, I don't know, that was very powerful for me. And I don't think it would have been if I wouldn't have had attachment to the characters. That, I mean, I don't know. That didn't do especially a lot for me. So, do you have any... There, there are a few weird things about this film... Um, or criticisms beyond. I have a few, yeah. Beyond, I, all right. So there are just some really obvious writing choices. Uh, the the bad guy mm-hmm. who you think they they sort of set him up to be an interesting, maybe playing the middle character. Yeah. And then they just they don't really they don't develop him at all. They give up, and he just becomes a stereotype mm-hmm. after the first act. Yeah. Which I thought was weird. You could have made this sort of. You could have you could have made him more compelling, or you know. I totally agree. He and they sort of set him up that way, you know, where he's. Anyway, he's I, got I'm, great dialogue yeah. in the beginning, and it just I'm, kind of. I'm not sure what like what what happened. Why they just gave up on that? Um, the nurses. Like video recording. <laughs> What's so that's like a, they, the most ridiculous. <laughs> they start off trying to make it like she's, you know, she like. Ducks out of this room real quick, yeah. and then they just totally give up. And it's like, somebody get this woman a a steady cam and a a rig. She, she's wearing a GoPro. Yeah, I, I mean, mean, like I don't. Anyway, that that was uh, that was beyond absurd. But mm. suspension of just whatever. It's it's fine. Um, the, the last thing I thought was a weird choice is that this is a universe where the X-Men exist as a reality and it's, as a fiction. Yeah, in the comic book, yeah. I mean, and they do okay They do okay with that. They they explain it. They make, yeah, it, yeah. They make it make sense. I just I thought that was weird. I thought that was... I don't really was, need that to no. do anything that they do in the context of the film. You could easily... And if you... I mean, she could easily have newspapers, too. Like, it doesn't have to be comic books. They, they don't need any... They, you could have just picked this location that they're all supposed to rendezvous at and it could Logan could have just as easily called bullshit yeah on you're it, right or this mythical right. place where there's you know it, it doesn't add I don't know it's it's strange you know what I thought was honestly gonna happen what I, I swear I thought in my head I'm thinking okay one of the children have this prophetic ability 
And these comics, they made these comics based on his prophetic ability, which then obviously, in my head, I'm like, oh, that's what that is. Like, yeah, that, I mean, that made sense to me, but it's not to anybody else. I don't. But the comics would have been made before all these kids were born. Touche. Yeah. Right? Okay. I don't know. Whatever. No, I agree. That was weird. The the only other thing, and you kind of mentioned it, um, I have something that I want to say at the very end of this podcast because it doesn't really have anything to do with the movie. It's just kind of a little interesting fact, factoid. Um, but some of the action beats and the, the, the X-24, the Wolverine, fighting Wolverine, I didn't love. I didn't love that. Uh, yeah. Again, like the, the action beats are... They don't do necessarily a whole lot for me. The I think there are a couple of important ones for the film. I think the opening it's action awesome. beat awesome. is important mm-hmm. because because it establishes so much context for the film. Yeah, I think the the scene it's not even an action beat. The the fucking murder scene in the hotel. Yeah, that's. I think that's important. Yeah, I, um, I agree. I agree. It shows who who Logan is. Yeah. And other than those two, really, I could give a crap. I mean, they they were visually impressive. They were choreographed well. There was not a lot of... There were a couple moments of too much shaky cam or too Mm -hmm. many quick cuts, but it was pretty well shot and choreographed for the most part. I just, you know, that wasn't wasn't what I was there for, which is so weird. Like, you finally get to see Wolverine fucking berserker. I did get a chill where he, he fucking lets out uh, that guttural scream oh, in yeah, the yeah. woods at the end and just yeah. starts hunting people, but it doesn't last long no, enough. It, it really wasn't long enough. You're yeah. right. And it really wasn't... Uh, there was nothing really inventive about that either. Like, I, I, there was, I've seen him do all those things before. Like, they, I wanted they, to see him, like... They really could have made, yeah. I, I thought we were going to see, like, a full-on berserker yeah. rage Wolverine. Me like, too just like this crazy terrifying yeah animal, me too I, unstoppable animal they definitely didn't go far enough with that I don't think yeah. um, the only other thing with the action and I'm, I'm sure that their work this is partly because of constraints of the budget but all these little mutants they didn't use any of their powers there was a couple of them that used their powers to prevent themselves from being they but they weren't X-23 is a uh, and I, I so this again like where do you draw the line? So she was a killer, right? Mm-hmm. That's the important distinction. And the way they have the movie written, she's part of this larger project, but they still left the X designation in yeah. there. Um, and you know, so I I guess like. I, I don't know. They didn't do a, a well a good enough job of explaining why she was so murderous compared mm-hmm. to the rest of them. Right. You know, is it implied that? Well, I mean, and the other understanding for comic book fans is that well, she was she is a designated like uh, weapon. Like right. she is she's survived and was successful right, enough right. to to be. Weapon X number twenty three. Yeah, right. Um, do you do you whereas, think? Yeah. Did you think she looked a little bit like Femi Jansen? I don't know who is that. Uh, the that plays um, Jean Grey in the next movies. Oh no, not it, really. Really? I'm like no. she kind of looks like a a, a, a little uh, Femi Jansen. So I thought they were going to be some kind of play like this was some kind of uh, they took 
tissues of these two and pulled them together somehow yeah. and made a. They also make it seem like it's even even Wolverine is like he's like it's your DNA and he's like well it's not ju- just my DNA yeah. thank you very much yeah, yeah. they kind of don't yeah she it's she's more like a Weapon X by name to identify her character or her character inspirations yeah. than she is a true depiction of a like a Weapon X project right. you, know, you know what I'm trying yeah, to say yeah I know what you're saying like in reality she was better than Wolverine Wolverine right but she just didn't have the adamantium bonded skeleton like he did. Right. Okay. Um, can I tell you? Are, are you? are we done? Did you, did you want to say something else? No. I mean, I I think, you know, I I don't know. I there. For all this movie's flaws, I'm willing to overlook all of them. I just I enjoyed it so much. Yeah, I agree. Excellent movie. Yeah. I. The, we're being a little nitpicky, but I mean. Uh, there's some legitimate complaints, I think, and sure. but overall, it doesn't affect the film so much that it's not enjoyable or moving, for sure. Um, so, if you Google attack uh, by a Wolverine claw or Wolverine claw attack, my hometown, Mansfield, Ohio, will come up. <laughs> so, apparently, someone in the, my hometown had a... A, a like I don't know I don't want it, it's not real but a Wolverine claw that had steel claws on it yeah and he stabbed a woman in the armpit with these claws and went to jail and so when twenty four stabs uh, Logan in the armpit with the claws on the farm I was like oh my god that's what that guy did that I read about so yeah there you go. My hometown. Dude, dude attacked a chick with Wolverine claws in my hometown. Okay. Well. Scary stuff. You're from a special place. I am. It, it's, a, it's a special place. Not that. I mean, I'm like, you'd have to be such a hyper nerd to have, like, a, like a weird... I, I mean, like, it'd be like a Qatar or something. Yeah, right? It's not... I mean... Or it would be some special nerd ma- made, you know, actual... I don't know. You better shut your mouth before I get my Wolverine claw. Yeah. Uh, I don't... Whatever. Uh, While you were partying, I studied (laughs) the blade. Uh, Next week, are we conging it up? I'm pretty sure we are. I'm still... I'm still very, very curious about this film. Um, So, yeah. Kong Skull Island has received mixed to positive reviews. Uh, Certainly has a stellar cast yeah and I you know I think the potential is there for this to be an enjoying enjoyable movie I for agree. me but we will we will have to wait and see um well yeah so I guess next week we'll be showing you our Kong to Kong 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 for waiting all episode oh to say that oh my god no just no it's I'm really I'm really sad that we have to go out on that note <laughs> Well, uh, Colin, I think that's going to do it for this episode of the Midnight Film Review. Catch you on the flip side. Okay, bye.